0: Let's turn in our Bible to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to read today just from the first 10 verses of the chapter. Philippians chapter 3. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more, circumcised the eighth day, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which in the law blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. We know that the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this morning... Is taken from Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Remember, we're continuing our series of expository messages on the book of Philippians. So I draw your attention to Philippians 3, verse 8. And my theme today is the greatest knowledge in the world. Let's read the text. It says, Yea, doubtless. And I count all things but loss For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord For him I have suffered the loss of all things And to count them but dung that I may win Christ And I want to ask this morning What in your opinion Is the greatest knowledge of all things in the world? And the Apostle Paul answers that He tells us what the greatest knowledge of all things in the world is The excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. The greatest knowledge in the world is not political or social and economics. It's not financial or educational. It's spiritual. And if you can remember last week, the first point that I preached was the subject addressed. And I ask you to consider what subject the Apostle Paul was writing about. And the subject is how to be in a right relationship with God. How to be saved. How to become a true Christian. In this opening section, the Apostle Paul sets forth a very personal and yet passionate defense of the gospel. He, he warns the Philippian church and us to beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. You see, in Paul's day... Certain Judaizers had risen up against the believers in Philippi. They questioned their salvation. They they said to these believers, But you can't be saved. You haven't been circumcised. You're not following the Jewish custom. You're not following the teaching of Moses. You're not really saved. You're, You're not true believers. The Apostle Paul, of course, was having none of it. Anyone who adds anything to the work of Christ as a requirement for personal salvation and teaches that you need Christ plus something else, in Paul's mind, that individual is likened to a dog. A voracious dog An evil worker He says they're they're part of the concession You see the apostle Paul in prison Couldn't sit back and do nothing He couldn't stay silent Because of the powerful influence Of a false gospel message On the souls of men And on the church of Christ And in this section He is emphasizing that salvation Doesn't depend on a person's Jewishness or adherence to rites and ceremonies of the Jews' religion. If you look at chapter 3, verses 5 to 7, he sets forth himself as a great model of Jewishness. He's saying, well, look at my pedigree. I'm as good a Jew as any other man. In fact, if any other man has something to boast of, I have more. Listen to me. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, is touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteous, was in the law blameless. But what things were gained to me? Those I counted loss. For what? For Christ. He's saying, look at the ritual that I observed. I was circumcised the eighth day. Look, look at my race. I'm of the stock of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Look at look at my religion. I, I was brought up a Pharisee. Look at my achievement. I kept the law blameless. I have all the Jewish credentials that a man could have. I observed it all. And I did so that I might please Almighty God. That I may be accepted of him on the basis of my performance. But it all changed one day. And that was the day that I met the crucified, risen Christ as I neared Damascus at noontime. And at that very moment when I was born again of the Holy Spirit, I reckoned all my achievement, my accomplishment, uh, my association, I, 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 I counted them all as loss. I literally count all human merit. As loss in order to gain Christ. All my rituals. All my racial background. My religion. My respectability. I count them as nothing. Why? Because none of them can make me acceptable to God. I count them as worthless. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. All the things I could count up. All my achievements, my associations, all my accomplishments, I now realize from the moment I was born again in Damascus, from the moment I was saved by Christ, I count them for nothing. And in my mind, my estimation, only one thing matters, and it's this, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Listen to what he adds in verse 9, and be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which of God by faith. Now I want to ask this morning, if this is the greatest knowledge in the world, and it's related to a spiritual subject, what does that actually mean in practice? Let me suggest this morning three things. First of all, it's a personal knowledge of Christ. Look at the words, the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Underline the word my. Paul is thinking back as he neared Damascus. On that day at noontime when he met the crucified risen Christ. And Christ became his. And he became Christ. And he's thinking of that initial meeting. That that brought him into a right relationship. With God in Christ. You see the word my speaks of possession. Remember doubting Thomas. He fell on his feet in a post resurrection experience. And he talked about my Lord and my God. The apostle John records in John 17:3, "And this is eternal life that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent." Now, now can you say this morning, "I know him?" That is, I know him personally, because I can think back to that initial time when I was introduced to him, Can we say to the Father this morning, "I know your Son, Jesus Christ whom you sent? I know him by faith. He's my God. He's my gain. You see, one of the great errors throughout the world today is this idea, is this concept that man can do something to save himself. Is not the problem today in the Roman Catholic world. The, The adherents of Roman Catholicism are taught and told No salvation outside the church So they think about the church when it comes to salvation When they're born, the priest baptizes them Not only have they got baptism, but later on they get their confirmation And they're taught about the need to pay for the celebration of the mass Recite the rosary, do penance Follow the church's teaching. Pay to get out of purgatory. And what is it? It's all salvation by works. It's, you need Christ, but you also need this and that and something else. It's not Christ alone. And it's a departure from Peter's teaching. Acts 4 verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby you must be saved. Now, I want to tell you something this morning alongside the error of Roman Catholicism which is really salvation by works there's also a so-called Protestant version as well. To be sure of the right of passage to heaven what do you need? Well, you need to belong to the church either a Baptist or Presbyterian, Methodist, Church of Ireland what about a free Presbyterian? You need to do good to others You need to be a kind neighbor. You need to be honest and pay your way. What about joining the Orange Order or the Royal Black Perceptory or the Apprentice Boys? What about, well, you would need to lay down your life and sacrifice for the armed forces. You need to do the best you can. Don't get drunk, don't gamble, don't beat your wife. You see, this morning, what I'm trying to get across is this. You ask the average person, if we were to go door to door and have a survey and, and ask this question, what must I do to be sure of heaven? You would get the answer, well, it depends on your actions, your achievements, your, your associations. It depends on your attitude. And I want to tell you this morning, it's really a Protestant form of popery It must be all treated and counted as a loss. It must be all seen as human merit, human achievement. And it needs to be renounced, it needs to be repented of because it's not the ground. It doesn't even form part of the ground in the great scheme of God's salvation. We were singing this morning there in that lovely hymn, or at least trying to sing in uh, number 214, Salvation, O my soul, rejoice. Why? Salvation is of God. It was Jonah that said, Salvation is of the Lord. It was Titus that said, in Titus 3, 5, and 6, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he have saved us, How? By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. You see, what counts with the living and the true God is to be able to say to him in truth, I know your son. I know him personally and I know him intimately. Not just I know about him, but as I've said, I know him personally. There was a day in my experience when I was introduced to him. When he introduced himself to me. When he revealed himself to me. Didn't Paul talk about that day when God revealed his son in me? That that we were drawn to him? You see, the great goal, young people, men and women, in the Christian life, is to know Christ. And it starts with knowing Christ in a personal, in a particular way. To be brought into a real relationship with him. A relationship that's real, yet vital and necessary. To to know him as the crucified, risen Christ. Not to know a set of rituals, or a set of rules, or to have this requirement to do something, to, to climb a ladder to heaven. No, it's personally and intimately known Christ. Now, now the question this morning is this. Is that true of you? I'm not asking if you know about him. I'm asking you, do you know him? That is, there was a day when you had an initial meeting with him. Now, think of the Apostle Paul. In Acts 9, remember, he is traveling Near Damascus. He's journeyed 125 miles from Jerusalem to near Damascus. And he's not seeking after Christ. He's not thinking of Christ. He has no desire nor longing to be saved. He's got murder in his mind. He has got threats of intimidation in his mind. He wants to imprison the saints of God. He has not planned to meet the crucified risen Christ. Christ came to him. Christ, like the good shepherd, sought him out. And Christ gloriously saved him. Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And what was his response? What wilt thou have me to do, Lord? You see, far too often in our community we compare ourselves with others. I'm better than him. No, I'm better than her Let me tell you a little story At the end of World War I it was coming up to the centenary Of the end of World War I The 11th of November 2018 A special day And we'll have to think about doing something for that There was a general And he sent word to the troops in Europe We're going to have a victory parade in Paris And there was one Two requirements That you have a good record as a soldier and the second requirement was you have to be at least six foot, three quarter inches tall, which I think is about 187 uh, centimetres. Of course, that would rule me out. But there was a company of American soldiers and they heard this news. So they started to line up back to back, the tallest and the shortest. And some of the taller ones were saying, too bad for you, shorty, we'll think of you, we're in Paris. And they're joking uh, one with another. Then the officer came into the mesh hall And he put a mark on the wall uh, And he said now come and stand With your back to this mark Some men Came and took a look at the mark and walked away For they knew that they couldn't measure up Some men tried and failed Uh, Some men fell Short By a very small amount I think the tallest man in the company He was a quarter of an inch shy You see the men Compared themselves with each other... ...and they felt okay... ...and some of them felt tall enough to qualify... ...but none of them qualified... ...why? Because when the standard was applied... ...they all fell short... ...and you see... ...compared to others... ...we all fall short... ...maybe we can say... ...well I don't do this... ...and I don't do that... ...I don't get drunk... ...I don't gamble... ...I don't beat my wife... ...I don't steal... Others can say, well, well, I can go one better than that. I I, I don't do those things, but I also go to church. I read my Bible every day. I pray. I'm a good person. I am honest. And they don't see that it's an essential thing to count all that that they, 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 they talk about as a loss in order to gain and win and know Christ. So I ask again, do you have a personal knowledge of him? You see, this portion's all about him. Look with me at verse 7. What does it say? The last word is Christ. Look at verse 8. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count him but done, that I may win Christ. Notice he's mentioned twice. Then come to verse 9. He's mentioned it again. The faith of Christ. When we come to verse 10, it mentions that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable to his death, his resurrection, his suffering, his death. Come to verse 12. It's the last two words are Christ Jesus. When we come down to verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In fact, eight times in this section, Christ is mentioned. And eight, of course, in biblical numerics is the number of new beginning. It's a personal knowledge of him. Do you know him this morning? Was there a day when you're introduced to him by the Spirit of God? The second thing I want to say this morning is it's a practical knowledge of him. You see, the Apostle Paul speaks of him. He speaks from his heart. He's speaking passionately. He's speaking with great enthusiasm. And notice what he says. He's not just thinking of that um, uh, initial and intimate knowledge of Christ, of getting to know him, who he is and what he's like. But he's thinking of an experimental knowledge of him. And I want you to notice that he uses three of the most common names for the Savior in the Bible. Look at the text. The knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. When he speaks of the knowledge of him, he means us to think of these names. These names demand comprehension. These names help us to reveal Christ and help us to, to get to know him. You see, once there's an the initial introduction, say, of boy meets girl... And they're been introduced for the first time And there's a likeness and fondness for each other They'll want to converse They'll want to have time together They'll want to share experiences They'll talk about their likes and their dislikes They'll spend time together And over that time If the boy offends the girl Or vice versa They'll say they're sorry They'll ask for forgiveness They'll learn to work out their difficulties And if that Romance blossoms, they'll enter into courtship, and they'll enter into marriage. And the initial introduction will grow into an intimate experimental experience. And what's true in a human relationship is true of this spiritual relationship with Christ. And how can we get to know him? How can we have the knowledge of Christ? Well, well, he's revealed to us by these names that are used in the Bible. Let's think about what they mean. Think of the word Lord Christ Jesus my Lord Notice it's got a capital That reminds us of the the deity of Christ Jesus Christ is not just a good man Though he went about doing good He's not just a great man He's not just a gracious man Remember what we read Never man spake like this man But I want you to understand this morning That he's the God man So as we talk of christ let's remember who he is he is the god man and that's revealed to us by the spirit of god not by flesh and blood but by god the father working through His spirit in the word we, we sang in that hymn no man can truly say that jesus is the lord unless thou take the veil away and breathe the living word The Bible says, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. He's God incarnate. Let's recognize who he is. The second person of the Holy Trinity. He he is the second person of the triune Godhead. Manifest in human flesh. In other words, God came to us. Emmanuel, which means God with us. He came to where we are. He he came to live amongst us for a reason and for a purpose. So you've got to think of the deity of Christ. And that's a great theme in itself. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. The same was with God in the beginning. And we believe this morning in the eternal essential deity of Jesus Christ as God the Son and the Son of God. Notice the word Jesus here. That refers to the humanity of Christ. It's true he's 100% God. But he was also 100% truly man. Bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. At the same time, Very God of very God. He had a dual nature. He has a real flesh and blood body. A real humanity. A a real true nature. Remember what we read in Matthew 1, 21. Thou shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Remember he came to save. The son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Bible tells us he's mighty to save. That is save us from sin's penalty. Which is death How? By, by dying a horrible death of crucifixion for us But this man after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever Sat down in the right hand of God he, To save us from the power of sin The hymn writer says he breaks the power of cancelled sin He sets the prisoner free His blood can make the foulest clean His blood avails for me so, so we no longer have to be a captive to sin We're No longer under sin's control He has broken that power He takes away the love of sinning out of our hearts. He he gives us a love for righteousness. That's why we love God's day. That's why we love God's name. That's why we love God's word. That's why we love the gospel. Because the pleasure of sin has been taken out of our hearts. And one day he'll save us from sin's presence. Notice here the word Christ. That refers to the beauty of Christ. See, the Bible teaches he's the mediator of the new covenant. The one appointed by God to stand between ourselves and a holy God. The, 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 the uh, approved representative of his people. The one ordained by God. The one anointed to God to that office. The one who's qualified to serve in that office as Christ. It's a three-fold office. It's the office of the prophet, the office of a priest, and the office of a king. He occupies the office of a prophet because he's the one who knows God. He was with God in the beginning, the one who is God, and he was officially ordained to come and speak to us about God. That's why he could say, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He tells us the things that we need to know to, to repent and believe the gospel. He occupies the office of a priest. He's the one who can lead us directly to God, to to introduce us to God. As a priest, he had a dual function like the Old Testament priest of offering the sacrifice and making intercession. And Christ, of course, offered himself a once and for all sacrifice to God. And Christ in heaven, because that sacrifice has been accepted... Is now making intercession for us He receives our prayers He he, he makes our offerings Acceptable to God And our sacrifices And and he not only receives our prayers But he prays for us in heaven That we might be the recipients of grace And and mercy and and peace and blessing He occupies the office of the king He's the king in the throne this morning He's a glorious, great, gracious king He's king of kings. He's lord of lords. He's the one who fights our battles as our king. He's the one who protects us from our enemies. He's the one who blesses us with all the blessings of of peace and prosperity as we live out our lives on earth. Because he's our king, he's the one who consoles us, who comforts us, who who, who, who counsels us. And we, we buy in submission to him. That's the beauty of Christ. And think about the ministry of Christ. Think of the words again. Christ Jesus, my Lord. My Lord. He's the one who owns us. The one to whom we belong. He he has purchased us with his precious blood. I, I am redeemed. Oh, praise the Lord, the hymn writer said. In other words, Christ has redeemed me to be his. So that he could become my master and my ruler. So that I could live a life in humble, loving, growing submission to him. It's Christ that makes us willing and ready to live unto him. And remember this knowledge of him. This is received by faith. This is more than an intellectual appreciation of him. This is more than something out of a textbook. This is more something than the school teacher would tell you. We can all know certain truths and have an intellectual appreciation of him. But to to be able to say in truth, Christ Jesus, my Lord. Remember Thomas, my Lord and my God, my Christ, my owner, my master, my prophet, my priest, my king, my God, my king. You see, it's a practical knowledge. Do you know him? Experimentally today, the word count is used twice in this text, three times if you add verse 7. It has to do with accounting, sensei. in other words, it's an evaluation, it's a weighing up of the facts. Paul accounts all human merit on one side all that he had to boast of the flesh, all the things that he achieved and done. And he's saying this, I count them, I reckon them. When I do up my valuation here, I count them all, the good stuff, as unimportant. I count them as loss. I I count them as as spoiled food, as acriment, as something filthy, as dung, that I might have the knowledge of Christ. I want to tell you one final thing. This is not only a a personal knowledge and a very practical knowledge, but this is a positional knowledge. Notice what he says in verse 9. And to be found in him. To be in union with him. To be in Christ. What has God provided in him? Has God not provided righteousness? Isn't this what verse 9 is saying? That Christ's righteousness is mine by faith. That I'm, and they found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law. But that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. Remember, the Bible tells us, For he that is God hath made him, that is Christ, to be sin for us, or you know sin, that we might be made what? The righteousness of God in him. To, to be dressed in Christ's righteousness with which we stand before God. To be washed in the blood of redemption. To be granted peace, peace with God. To be giving other rewards. As we journey through life. Think of all that God has provided in him. And remember as I finished this morning what the Apostle Paul could say in the book of Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. This is a positional knowledge. We're in Christ. And because we're in Christ, we have been blessed with what? All spiritual blessings. The privilege of knowing God as Father, Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit as our comforter and indweller. The, 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 the privilege of the assurance of heaven. The, the privilege of access to God in prayer. The, 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 the privilege of the peace of God. And in times of trouble and difficulty, to, to, to lean hard upon him and find the strength that we need to live for him. The assurance of a home in heaven. So, so many blessings. I haven't time to name them all this morning. But this is a positional knowledge. So when Paul speaks about the excellency Of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord Just remember this, it's personal Remember this is practical Because it's in the realm of experimental religion And this is positional Because in him God treats you As if you were Christ yourself Think of that May the Lord bless you this morning Thanks for coming And thank you for listening